1: Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho.
2: Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. And today, the God of Thunder joins the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The spill you're under has been broken by Chris Jericho. Yeah, the man who sang that song originally is on Talk is Jericho. Gene Simmons is here, and it's perfect because it's Friday.
1: We're gonna live tonight like it's our last night. A Tuesday party throwing caution to the wind. Our last chance to show the world just what we're made of.
2: Of thunder is on the pot of thunder. There's the hashtag for the show. <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, great, great interview with Gene Simmons today. And it, 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 as awesome as it was to interview Paul Stanley, it was just as awesome to interview Gene. And in a lot of ways, Gene's interview was just as good, if not better, than Paul's. Um, so. Interesting, a lot of different uh, topics covered, and not as kiss centric um, as I would have expect- expected. We just talked, and that's always, you know, the way that I run the show here. It's never a history lesson; it's just a conversation, and that's the way it should be. And this came out like I- I'm friends with Paul, and have been for the better part of a year now. So Paul getting Paul and talk as Jericho was pretty much. Um, just a natural progression of events. I didn't know Gene. I've never really met him. I met him one time at the Golden Gods Awards um, when he was there. You can read that story in my book. And uh, other than that, I only know him very casually. You know, hey, what's going on? How are you type thing? So what happened was when the Paul Stanley interview came out and went so well and was such a huge success among Kiss fans, I was talking to Keith LaRue, who runs their uh, Kiss Online website, kissonline.com, which if you are a Kiss fan, you should go check it out. It's the best website ever for Kiss. So he said, you know, Gene would be great on your show. I said, well, can you help me get Gene? So he did a, look, a couple of machinations and said, Gene, will do your show. And Because um, I had asked Gene face-to-face the last time I saw him when I went to the Kiss Rock and Brews opening to hang out with Paul. It's so cool. I was hanging out with Paul Stanley and I asked Gene Simmons if he'd do my show. And he said that he would, but he got kind of called away or something. So, and I asked Paul, like, you know, can you pass along my number? And if Gene wants to do it, maybe he'll do it. So I don't know if Paul ever did or not, but Keith LaRue asked Gene and Gene said he was interested in doing it. And we kind of went back and forth on a, on a date. And then, uh, Keith said, Gene's available on this day. Uh, you can go to his friend's house to do it. And I was like, that's perfect. So I'm sitting at my house, and I get a, a couple days before the interview, I get a, a call and an unknown number, you know, when that comes up, but I never answer those. So I listen to the message about an hour later, and it's Gene Simmons. Hello, Chris. I'm looking forward to your powerful and attractive face. i looking forward to doing your show. Can you please send me an email, if I may impose? I need to talk about scheduling, so please send me an email, uh, if I may impose, and he gives me his email address, you know. 453 at AOL.com. That's 453 at AOL.com. Please send me an email so we can talk. And by the way, that is not Gene Simmons' email address. Um, so I, I sent him an email, and he's like, if I may impose, can we please uh, change the scheduling? So we changed the scheduling, and he said, he used another name as well. I don't want to use the exact name, for reasons which you'll find out soon. So he's like, we're going to do this podcast at Bill Watson's house. Uh, here's the address. No, he actually said, we're going to do this podcast at Bill Watson's. and gave me the address. So I'm like, okay, um, I don't know what Bill Watson's is. I don't know if it's a, a friend of his. I don't know if it's a, um, a restaurant. I mean, I don't know. So I go and do an interview Um with Cheech Marin, who's going to be on the show next week from Cheech and Chong. I go to his house, get the interview done. Then I head over to Bill Watson's house. And I pull up and there's this, you know, you drive up, you know Hollywood is if you've never been there. There's a lot of houses kind of back off the hills and back off the road, but you'll just see gates because that's like the security gate. So I pull up at the security gate right on time, buzz buzz the gate and uh, I'm like, hey, it's Chris Jericho for Gene they open the gate up and like there's this giant house back there. The first thing I see is a tennis court and then a giant house kind of up on a hill and I park my car and I walk up the the steps and this is pretty early in the morning. It's like 10 30 in the morning or so and standing right there. There he is Gene Simmons and he's wearing a full on suit. His hair is all done. He got obviously got up and got ready to do this interview. And we go inside, and I realize right away that this is not Bill Watson's house. This is his house. You know, it's Gene Simmons' house. You, I've seen it enough on TV, and plus you can just tell it's his house. I mean, duh. And um, there's a there's a life-size butler standing right there like a statue. And he goes, this is Jeeves. If you go touch Jeeves' face, he will perform for you. So I go touch Jeeves' face, and as I do that, Gene pokes me in the stomach and goes, hee 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 like kind of the Pearl, Pillsbury Doughboy like, <laughs> from behind. And I'm like, I'm like, I mean, how many times have you done that over the years? And then he looks at my arm and goes, you've got something on your arm. You should wash that off. And it's my tattoos, of course, because I'm just kidding. And I go, this is your house. Uh, why did you say come to Bill Watson's? And he's like, well, I couldn't tell you to come to my house. That's not how you do things. That's not how you do business. I said, come to Bill Watson's, and that way you wouldn't know for sure where you were going. And I was like, all right. But Bill Watson thats the best name you could come up with. And the actual real name of the guy was even worse than Bill Watson, let me tell you. Much more generic. So, um, And then we, we, he takes me into the kitchen. He goes, would you like a coffee? And I'm like, "Why? Well, yes, I would like a coffee, Gene Simmons. So he makes me a cup of coffee, like in a Keurig uh, coffee pot. And then he goes, do you want a, a, just a, a styrofoam cup or do you want a fancy cup with a handle? I'm like the styrofoam cup is fine. He has like a big uh, um, column of, of Starbucks cups. So I get my coffee and then he goes, let me show you something. We go into this big giant living room. And I mean, this house is badass. And he opens up this box and he goes, let me show you this. And inside the box, there are, this is not exaggerated. I'm going to say about a dozen purple hearts. And I'm looking through, like, it's like this, like if I pick up all the purple hearts in one hand, some purple hearts are falling through. That's how many of them there are back into the box. And I was like, where'd you get all these? And he says, you know, soldiers have sent them to me over the years uh, for, you know, kiss kept them alive or kiss kept them going on the battlefield. And there's all these medals in here. And then we start talking about the CIA and covert operations and the witness protection program and. And this is not on the podcast, by the way. This is just kind of us talking in his living room. And I'm like, this is crazy. You know, like this is like, wow, what a what an amazing thing. So I don't know where he wants to do the podcast. And I've got my little portable rig that I'm talking to, to you right now from uh, the parking lot in Munich, Germany, where we have the Fozzie show tonight. And then he goes, well, let's go do the podcast. So I got, we'll go into this room. And we walk into this room. And it is a KISS museum. It's insane. Behind all of these glass cases. There are thousands, and this is not an exaggeration, thousands of items of KISS memorabilia. Okay? Probably like almost every single thing ever released by KISS. Like all stuff from the 70s and 80s and 90s. And there's dolls in there. There's lunch boxes. There's figures. There's gold records on the wall. There's Peter Chris gold records on the wall. There's Ace Fraley gold records on the wall. There's, you know, the KISS dolls, KISS pinball machine, KISS chair kiss coffin you'll you'll hear all about this stuff on the show but it really is a kiss museum you know what i mean like you could look at this stuff for hours and then we do the interview which is amazing 90 minutes with gene simmons and then we go upstairs to look at the kiss hello kitty room which he had to have made because apparently there's i think he says 1500 kiss hello kitty items already and they're all up there so now he's got another room up there and then he goes. You have kids. How old are your kids? I said, Well, my daughters are eight. My son is eleven. We go down to another room, and he just takes a kiss plastic bag, and starts filling it up with kiss memorabilia. Here's a kiss shirt. Here's a kiss hat. A kiss pillow. Here's some kiss comic books. Here's a kiss, you know, flashlight. And I'm walking out. He's like, you know, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a grandmother giving you a bunch of stuff to take home with you. You know, like consolation prizes, parting gifts. And then we go out to his porch and he tells me about how, Anne Margaret lives across the way and how pretty she is and how gorgeous Sophia Loren is. And then, uh, and then I had to split. I had to go and do another interview. So it was an amazing experience in Gene Simmons house. I mean, come on, man, it doesn't get any cooler than that. And then I walk back out to my car with my plastic bags filled with kiss memorabilia. And, uh, you know, ready to um, enjoy the the rest of the day. So it was an amazing experience. The conversation was incredible. Gene was incredible, a gracious host, and it was a real honor to be in his house and to see this Kiss Museum. And like I said, he could sell tickets to this, and Kiss fans would go crazy. Kiss fans would pay. Like, if you're a diehard Kiss fan, like if you're going on the Kiss Cruise, for example, which Fozzie is playing on, you would pay a thousand dollars to see this easily and that's just how amazing this uh, this area is so um so many cool stories that gene told you'll hear all about them coming up momentarily but first, I want to remind you there's only about four days left to get your votes in for the podcast awards. Now, you guys are cool enough to nominate Talk is Jericho. So now I'm asking you to please continue on with that. If you nominated Talk is Jericho, please help me take home the Best Sports Podcast Award on April 14th. Vote at podcastawards.com. You can vote once a day. I'd love to take home this award. One year into the business, taking over like it's gone. I mean, Talk is Jericho is a juggernaut, over 65 million downloads. Thanks to all of you for listening, and thanks to all of you for voting, and thanks to all of you who are going to now go vote right now at podcastawards.com. You go on the sports podcast, you vote for Talk is Jericho. I'm waiting. Go do it right now. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. I'm glad you did that because voting closes this Tuesday, March 24th. The winners will be revealed April 14th at the New Media Expo in Las Vegas. Vegas, baby. Vegas, help me take home an award, man. And let me take home a podcast award in Vegas and also you know what come, come to the awards. Book your trip through Vegas.com and come see it live If you know, maybe I'll be there live to accept the award. You want to go to Vegas.com if you want to come join me use the promo code Jericho you hook yourself up with an extra 10% off some cool insider deals alright do that and speaking of support I wouldn't be able to do this podcast twice a week for free if not for all the great sponsors of Talk is Jericho and of course if not for you guys supporting the show and the sponsors you can find all my sponsors along with my Amazon links at podcast1.com. Just click on the Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. Every time you use one of my Amazon links, you know the deal, Amazon kicks back a couple bucks to cover the show production costs. I got links for Amazon USA, Amazon UK, Amazon Canada, a all kinds of cool stuff. The whole Kiss catalog, tons of Kiss merch. My new DVDs, Sweeping the Nation, a huge hit, The Road is Jericho. Rare matches and explanations and stories about all of them. You get the new latest Fozzie record, Do You Want to Start a War? You also get my new book and the third New York Times bestseller, The Best in the World at What I Have No Idea. Go buy Shawn Michaels' new book, Wrestling with Faith. Go buy Joshua Gates' new book, monster hunter from Destination Truth and Expedition Unknown. I know I get those mixed up sometimes. I'm only human. Give me a brick. I'm only human. All right. Anything you want to buy at your Amazon links. If you do some shopping, click on the uh, on the Amazon link and help out this show in the process. You go to podcast podcastone.com. You click on the Keep Our Podcast free bar at the top of the page. Then you hit the Talk is Jericho button and you bookmark it. So you get to those links in one easy click. Okay, man. Gene Simmons, the demon from Kiss, is coming up to share some music stories, some kiss stories, some political uh, feelings, some stories about how the world of rock and roll is nowadays. His controversial statement about rock is dead. So many cool things to talk about.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This this is Talk is Jericho.
2: Yeah, man, so we're sitting in this amazing, it's like your own trophy room, comic book shop. It's all Kiss. It's all Gene Simmons. Uh, you could probably run tours through here like
3: a museum. Wow. Now that's a good idea. See? I, <laughs> See? I know if I hung out with you, I'd make a buck. <laughs> I like that. But you've, you showed me some incredible things
2: already just in the few minutes that I've been here. Uh, it's amazing uh, how much uh, influence and how much respect you have for, from all these different people around the world in different vocations and different areas of, the, of life.
3: Well... Uh, The most blessed day I had is when we were allowed to come into America as legal immigrants because there is a difference. Mm -hmm. The fact that America would allow a first-generation immigrant to come to America and have the same opportunities that native-born people have had for generations, Mm -hmm. it's it's astonishing because I would have been happy to go to the back of the line. Okay, I get it. It's the first generation, maybe third, fourth generation will have the same opportunities because you guys built this country. So why should I have access to the same mm-hmm. opportunity? But astonishingly enough, you can come here, barely speak English, and if you're and if you're uh, qualified, you get right to the head of the line.
2: You're almost the embodiment of the American dream, literally. Oh, there's no question
3: about it. Uh, I'm far more patriotic. That's a bad word because the masses have grown used to it in political terms. What I mean by patriotic is the love of America. You know, the the knot in the throat and the teary eye and all that stuff comes from a real understanding of what this country is. Uh, Even as seen through the eyes of my mother, who was 14 years of age, and was a concentration camp survivor of Nazi Germany, but it was the Americans who came and liberated her. (laughs) And were it not for America, uh, the world, I don't know, the world would have ended long ago as far as I'm concerned. And don't kid yourself. We we take it for granted, and I'm proud to be able to say we, because I wasn't born here, and English wasn't my first language, was my third, that despite what you may think and all the bleak assertions by media, America continues to be the envy of the world. Think about it. You can be an ISIS asshole someplace talking about your religious fundamentalism, but you'll be wearing jeans, <laughs> and secretly you'll listen to rap or rock or something like that, And and you will know who all the American stars are. Yes, you know who Elvis is. And yes, Kiss, yep. You know, all that stuff. But we don't have a clue who your guys are. (laughs) That's a great point, right? Goddamn right. It is the culture that rules the world, continues to. The foods you eat, everybody eats burgers and pizza and stuff like that. I don't remember the last pair of frog's legs I put in my mouth. Do you? (laughs) Go to the fast food frog leg place. Yeah, let's get some fried frogs. (laughs) And you see all these frogs on uh, crutches going like, what happened to (laughs) the rest of us? It's terrible. They just took my legs. Very tiny wheelchairs.
1: What
2: the fuck? Yeah, it's very
3: tiny. It's ridiculous. No. So I, a day doesn't go by when I'm not reminded of what this country has given us. Not just not just myself and my family and stuff, but anybody who comes here. It's the most astonishing country that has ever existed. And lest we forget, our constitution starts off with we the people. You mentioned that English was your third language. Yeah.
2: I'm assuming Hebrew was one. Hebrew, Hungarian. Hungarian.
3: Hungarian. And then English. And then I learned German. And I can... Say a few phrases in Japanese. So you, but I curse deliriously, wonderfully in Spanish. la tuya tu madre, and they'll tell you, oh boy, no, he's got the flavor in the sauce. <laughs>
2: Isn't that always the way? Whenever you go to a country and learn the language, you they always it. teach you the swear words. Well, first? the
3: first two things you have to learn any language in a new country is uh, you're beautiful, so that you can tell a girl. Uh, That and where's the bathroom in that order, because if you don't tell a girl she's beautiful, she won't tell you where the bathroom is. (laughs)
2: You know it's really funny when you say that. Uh, I remember buying the Revenge Japanese version in Japan. I was over there, and they had you know the CD booklet. It had the picture of each guy in the band and some written sentence. And yours was "anata no Anata Utsukushi. And that's why And I remember asking my friend, "What does this say?" Japanese guy He's like, "Oh, it says you're beautiful." I'm like, ah, and that's uh-huh. where I learned how to say you're beautiful from uh-huh. you. So you taught me. You taught me Japanese. See that? Anata wa Utsukushi. Anata wa utsukushi.
3: Utsukushi. <laughs> Now uh you you, mentioned- but, you know it is it is such an honor for people of different cultures and different languages to hear an American trying to speak their language because they know that English is spoken around the world so for an American to get to get off their high horse and it mm-hmm. is enormous respect people do respect I I went to Japan
2: I think over 60 times now tried to learn how to speak it but it's different dialect. Northern Japanese is different from Southern Japanese. But in, but in America, too. Exactly.
3: How y'all doing? What doing? Yeah, Matthew is different than... Yeah. Go to Canada. What's going on, eh? How you doing, eh? If well, even in, in New York. My yes. My brother Bob was going down like, Heck, where are you going? You're going to the... <laughs>
2: yeah, man. Like, you ain't go. <laughs> it's different. Exactly. Just in New York. But what I did was I learned how to read Japanese. There's three types of characters. That's and true. kanji katakana and uh hiragana and one of them katakana is almost like our alphabet very maybe just one or two lines for each character using chinese characters well or just but but not like you know the ones that are really intricate but i'm talking about like just a slash and a line like this is an h so by learning how to read it i could read a menu
3: read why, did Japanese do, why did you magazines why did you I mean, it's wonderful to be admired, but why did you learn to spe- uh, learn to read or write Japanese?
2: Because I
3: was sick of being
2: illiterate in a country that I was spending a lot of time in. Why were you there? I was wrestling there. So I was over there two weeks out of every month for 12, uh, two weeks in Japan, two weeks at home, right? So to be over there, and like you mentioned, to not ingratiate myself with the culture in some way, shape, or form uh, was very arrogant on my part and course. stupid, of you know? And so at least by... And moment, when they hear you even trying to do that, it's just... It gives you a lot of respect, you oh, know? Oh, yeah. You mentioned that you're going back to Japan and that things were really busy for you. Do you remember the first time you ever went to Japan?
3: Oh, yeah. And I'm proud to say that 41 years on, we have the number one record in Japan. That's right.
2: Number one hit song in Japan. Yeah.
3: With the the Momoko. female... Momoko. Momoko, the little girl group. They are... Uh, by all accounts, just enormous there. They play stadiums, multiple dates. As soon as you cross the border, people don't know who they are. But within Japan, they're goddesses. Yeah. Paul co-wrote and co-produced that song. He came up with the track and the stuff, and then they added you know, Japanese and stuff. But the first time we went there was uh, decades ago, before you were born. <laughs> 1977. And we didn't know it, but KISS became so big. Our very first time there, KISS was enormous there. We broke the Beatles record in ticket sales and all that. Yeah, they wow. played, I think, three days at the Budokan, mm-hmm. which is the big concert hall in uh, Japan. You in know, in what I Japan. just love
2: what that is. is True pros know that it's Budokan, no, nope, not Budokan, which is the American
3: pronunciation. <laughs> Budokan. Yeah. Yeah. And so they did three days i think we did either four or five sold out in advance and there was this undercurrent of their japanese because it's like oh yeah kabuki mm-hmm. because they have a proud history of you know their theater having almost the greek uh, tragedy plays where one character would be sorrow the other character would be jealousy the other character would be evil and And the face is painted accordingly. Face paint accordingly, yeah. Uh, And so, uh, at any rate, when we went there, we went there in style. We took over an entire 747. Pan Am was still an airline then. So it was the Pan Am Kiss Clipper. And you can go to YouTube or on Google and Google it. On the side of the 747 was the Kiss logo, which they won't do now. Mm -hmm. And the entire plane was filled with our guys and journalists and TV camp I mean, the whole thing. So as we were coming into Tokyo in 77, we the captain or somebody came over and said, they're waiting for you, and they're, they're, apparently there are thousands of people at the airport, uh, so we'll get the security and the cops and all that stuff. And we decided to get dressed up in the outfits and the makeup and all that stuff as a sign of respect. And as we're in the middle of the tarmac they allowed us to deplane so that we don't deplane and then come in via limos and all this stuff so as we come into the airport proper with all the officials there everybody's bowing and we're starting to bow and they go oh oh that's a yeah the, the that's sound, a common japanese yeah. sound oh,
1: oh oh
2: so excited oh
3: and, yes and respectful so an average Japanese of the time period would have been five four, or thereabouts. With our heels on, we're closer to 7 feet tall. Mm-hmm. So for them, it was like Godzilla time. <laughs> literally, yeah. Now, in back of them, in the windows and stuff, you could literally see thousands of fans going nuts, and the cops were losing their hats, trying to keep them back. <laughs> so we thought we were going to go out there, stand on the podium, and wave to the fans, take photos. There was an official who took a look at our passports, and then our faces, and said, "Kisubando." So this guy, and he kept looking back up. Kissband, looking, yeah, yeah, up and down. It, it didn't look like us in the passport, so we had to go in the bathroom, take off our makeup, <laughs> so that he could look at the passport, and then go to the bathroom and put the makeup <laughs> back, <up>. back on. <laughs> so that we could pass that. Now, as we went through, we went to a cordoned-off, curtained area where the fans couldn't see us, and the next thing the fans saw were limos driving out. We had fake limos so that they'd follow them, and then we went into another set of... But some of them found us anyway, and the cars were being rocked back and forth. It was kind of scary. And, you know, never forget it. I saw... You know, and coming from the American diet, you saw people eating. We went to very high-end Japanese restaurants where things that were crawling around on eight, ten legs were yes. being eaten raw, with tentacles falling out of your mouth and stuff, and like that. And that's not a joke. I mean, this is real. No, you it's, see it's, that?
2: It's. Common. I saw them cook a lobster once on a on a grill, a live lobster, where you could hear it going. <coughs> yep. Like screaming, screaming! I, was like, I can't eat Delicious, this. Appetizing. Yeah, this poor yeah. lobster. You see, a long sacrificed. time ago,
3: <laughs> a long time ago, man invented fire, and then they put the food <laughs> into the fire and they cooked it. But look, it's supposed to be healthier, and all this stuff. But I couldn't. You know, there were eels and cockroaches, and I don't know what. And you have you have to show respect, mm-hmm. and because uh, the promoter would probably take you out.
2: Or whoever, to sponsors, whatever would take you out. To
3: the best. In 1977, I went down to the lobby of the hotel we were staying in. And remember, it's 1977, mm-hmm. so it's decades ago, almost 40 years ago. And I had a hamburger. No, really? The American has a hamburger in <laughs> yeah. Tokyo. It was $52. Wow. Now, this is not a McDonald's hamburger. either. No. It was a McDonald's at that point in time. Just a regular, in fact, it was slightly smaller. Everything is smaller mm-hmm. the food portions, the plates, the dishes. Yeah, because the average smaller, Japanese cheaper. is much uh, right. smaller and not fat. You know, Americans are big and fat. And uh, the changes, you know, we were going to go back there. We were there a few years ago. It's uh become very Americanized. There are people dressed up as KISS all the time. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm going to show you something that'll. KISS has become so iconic and big in Japan that you can go into their equivalent of 7-Elevens, like the fast food stores. I and the name. Lawson
2: Station is the one, one of the convenience stores there. Okay. Gene's showing me a picture on his phone here. And this is, oh, <laughs> it's a KISS,
3: uh, some meat kind of a a meat, a meat bun. A kiss meat bun it's sort of like a <laughs> uh their That's version great. of a burger yeah it's There's kind a of a dumpling sort of thing the, but it's lo- it's it, the size of a burger and you hold it in your hand and so the outside is got some carbs and on the inside is meat and meat sauce and do stuff you know like what's in there did you uh, have to approve the uh, recipe I ta- for that? I tasted it.
2: <laughs> no, I didn't approve it.
3: It was kind of like, you know, beans and meat and stuff. Like yeah, that. it looks like, like kind a of a burrito. burrito. Like a Japanese Yeah, burrito. like a cross right. between a dumpling
2: and a burrito. Yes, yeah. yes. So when you go into the convenience store, this is one of the items that you can get. Oh, yeah. yeah, and
3: apparently they're gangbos. Everybody eats them all the time.
2: So, I mean, you were you're talking about the Kiss dumplings in Japan and all this other stuff that you have in here. Do you approve the
3: concept of every single piece of kiss merchandise <laughs> almost everything so you knew almost, that this... almost oh yeah okay almost everything because invariably which is a big word like gymnasium <laughs> if something goes wrong <laughs> if the food uh i don't know isn't good or the imagery isn't right they're not going to blame the manufacturer mm-hmm. they're going to blame you i mean when they put jericho on a package of, of anything ice cream bar i had once yeah, so so if it's a crappy wanna, ice cream bar, but you want to see it before it yeah. goes out to make sure the imagery is right and your name's right and all that stuff. So, so yeah, we have ice cream bars on which which is still on sale especially in uh, Australia. Just anything you can imagine including well, everything from kiss condoms to kiss caskets. <laughs> from birth to death, we'll get you coming and we'll get you going. <laughs>
2: it's like a vaudevillian joke <laughs> i feel here. like i'm on the borscht belt right now
3: i'm here all day try the, in fact <laughs> try the veal in fact i'm old enough to remember in the catskills in upstate new york i saw henny youngman doing wow an act. that's how old i am you saw him live yeah the uh yeah that thing yep sure enough there's a drummer in back of him and he goes when i was born i was so old a doctor no he says when i was born i was so ugly the doctor slapped my mother <laughs> boom, boom. They actually had a drummer on drum. stage. Yep, there's a guy. Boom! <laughs> and the audience are, you know, take my wife, please.
1: Boom.
2: <laughs> yeah. Was that what it was? Just like, like an hour of just one liners?
3: An hour of one liners, and you're in tears. Yeah, because he was rapid fire, like a machine gun. You couldn't hear the next joke coming because you were too busy laughing at the last one. And, uh, guy walks into a doctor's office. He says, "Doc, every time I do this, it hurts." The doctor says, "Don't do it." <laughs> boom! Boom! <laughs> Guy <laughs> walks into a doctor's office with a frog on his head. Doctor says, uh, uh, "What happened?" And the frog says, "It started with a bump on my ass." <laughs> brum, brum. right.
2: So this, so you actually went and saw that in the cast? Did you go? Did, did you see a lot of shows back when uh, well, in those I, days?
3: Uh, isn't this great? I spit into a kiss hello kitty That's toilet great. paper with my face on.
2: It. <laughs> Another Japanese influence thing. Oh
3: yeah Kiss hello kitty. Uh... <laughs> well, I went to school. Up in the Catskills and Sullivan County Community College and then into this part of the State University of New York and then the city university. And up in the hotels, you'd have everybody, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin and rock bands and the the guess who and mm-hmm. Guess who from Winnipeg, Canada. So I remember I remember Mountain, Emerson Lake and Palmer, the Allman Brothers, everybody. They all and there couldn't have been more than five hundred people. Mm. It was interesting
2: back in those days. You would have very eclectic bills, like you just said. You get like the All My Brothers playing with, you know, uh, Rare Earth or whatever it may yeah, be. Yeah, it wouldn't, it
3: wouldn't matter. You'd, uh, but even in New York uh, at the Fillmore East, and we were the very last band to play the Fillmore East. Really, it was already closed, but we had our press conference uh, there, January the eighth, nineteen seventy four. But they would have Led Zeppelin, and the. And the uh, and the Woody Herman Orchestra. Oh, wow. Yeah. It wasn't Woody Herman. The, yeah, Woody Herman Orchestra, like a 40s band. So it was very eclectic back very, in those days. I saw the Chambers Brothers, Poco, Albert King, and Vanilla Fudge, all on the same bill. And then at the Singer Bowl, and I think Paul was there too, but we didn't know each other. Mm. That was in uh, Queens, New York. And afterwards, when the bill were, and everybody was done... On stage was Robert Plant, Rod Stewart, Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, Alvin Lee from 10 years after, mm-hmm. Vinnie, whatever his name was from Vanilla Fudge. Vinny Apesey? No, no, Vinnie Carman was the drummer. Apezee. Yeah, Carmen Carman right. Vinny's his Car- brother. Yeah, but the guitar player was oh, okay. something. Gotcha. Uh, so you had Page, Beck, Plant, Rod Stewart, Alvin Lee, there were more, hmm. and they were all jamming Bex Bolero and some, some other stuff. You know, those were magical days when now it's all very confined and genre begets genre. So if you see a country act, there will only be country acts on it. Right. But in those days, it was like a anything was possible, a country act with a heavy act and a folk act.
2: Even like some of the bands that you opened for and some of the bands that opened for you. Oh, sure. In those days, you know.
3: When also the bands we took out we took out Dr. John John Cougar who John became Cougar, wow. oh yeah John Sebastian from Live and Spoonful although people only know
2: Welcome <laughs> yeah, Back Welcome Back yeah. Carter
3: theme <laughs> Yeah, because the Spoonful goes back to the 60s
2: So John Sebastian opened for Kiss? Oh sure
3: Really? John Hammond uh, Blues Guy uh, The Raspberries That's a great band Eric, and, and we opened up for all kinds of people. Billy Preston, Manfred Mann, hmm. Savoy Brown. Look, you got to remember that when we started, people assume a lot of things. So, for instance, the cell phone you hold in your hand, it never existed. I mean, people had no idea. All you knew was Dick Tracy would talk into his watch. <laughs> Captain Kirk on the uh, television. Yeah, yeah they didn't have yeah. a clue what that was. And this is even before voicemail. It was before... Transistor radios were just coming into vogue. The 24-track machine recording was just coming in. We recorded our first album on 16-track. When we started in 73, it was only something like six or seven years uh, since the Beatles recorded Sgt. Pepper on four-track. Yeah, and that's insane. So... Four-track begat 16 tracks within a few years, and then 24-track. But when we first started, there was no MTV or VH1. You couldn't hear guitars on radio. The way you made people aware of who and what you were is to get out on the road night after night and prove it on stage. I wish that was the case. I think that American Idol and X Factor and The Voice are great TV shows, but they're really doing harm to artists because... The premise seems to be that if you can sing in your shower, you should be a star, mm-hmm. and that's the farthest thing you are, because what you do on stage is more than your voice, because given the parameters and the ideal of what all these singing shows are, Mick Jagger wouldn't make it, mm-hmm. I wouldn't make it, Bob Dylan couldn't make it, Jimi Hendrix couldn't make it. That's a great point. Willie Madonna, Nelson. Madonna couldn't Ozzy. Yeah. no. Because we're not classically good singers. What you are are individuals. You have your individual voice message. Neil Young wouldn't make it. Great point. Oh, man, look at my... All right, sir. Maybe you shouldn't be singing for a <laughs> With living. his stringy hair. Be yeah. like... Oh, man, look at... I'm a lot like you were. You know, I love Neil, but if he tried right, to though. American Idol, he'd never make it. Yeah, you're totally right. There's a great story. David Foster who's a friend and has produced... Great producer. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. all kinds of, you know, everything from rock bands to... So he was. he's Canadian, and mm-hmm. he was doing a We Are The World Canadian style. So they had Brian Adams, Neil Young... Northern and, Lights is what it was called. Right. And so they're all singing, and, and uh, David gets off of his producer chair, walks up to Neil, whispers something, and, and Neil goes, yeah, okay. Yeah. And they go back to trying it again, so... Foster gets up again and goes up to Neil and says, Neil, you're you're singing sharp. And Neil says, No, I'm, no, I'm not singing sharp. Uh Foster says, No, no, really, you are singing sharp. He goes, No, man, I'm not singing sharp. That's my style. <laughs> what are you gonna say? Exactly. I wrote a song with Bob Dylan. So here we are, in fact on this property. There was another house here. Once upon a time, just so fine. You think that voice is You know, one of the great lyricists, one of the great artists of all time, but wouldn't make it on The Voice or The View. I mean, The View, American Idol or anything, because they're unique. What you've got on these shows are singers, people who should be in Broadway plays and choruses and playing holiday inns. These are not artists. Mm. Is this kind of I mean, your big controversial statement a couple months ago when you said rock is dead? Is that what you mean? Of course it is. Yeah, I, you, I, t- you tell me what it is. And it's a sad statement because part and parcel of that are all the college kids who feel entitled uh, to not pay for music and downloading and file yeah. sharing. That's fine. It doesn't affect us, but you're killing the next it generation of affects younger bands Beatles. completely. Oh, they they can't do what we did we had record companies to support us but here let's try let's try something from 1958 until 1988 is 30 years mm-hmm. okay name i don't know a thousand well how about just a 100 classic iconic acts of all kinds elvis presley the beatles i don't even have to go into you could do it off the top of your head in Little about Richard 15 minutes chocolate. so yeah. let's not even go let's just go the biggest of the biggest Elvis, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, uh, Pink Floyd, the Stones, and on on to Motown, and just on and on. Yes, even into the 70s. Aerosmith and ZZ Top. Kiss, Zeppelin, Sabbath. just Sabbath. I mean, endless. All kinds of music. Yes, even Madonna and Prince and the Jackson 5 and Michael Jackson, U2 and Metallica and ACDC. You can go on. Okay, now try this. From 1988 until today which is 27 years? 20, 27 years. Yeah. Just give me 10. From 88? You can't. I mean, 88... Maybe, maybe Nirvana. Nirvana would be in there. Okay, if you record two albums, yeah, you'll become Icon. No. <laughs>
2: yeah, but, I mean, you, you can't. I mean, you got your Soundgarden, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, those type it's of bands. It's not on
3: that level. I'm uh, sorry, and I'm a big fan. If you walk down the street and, and yeah. ask somebody on the street... Who's, who's in Soundgarden or sing a song one of my favorite bands it doesn't rise to that level yeah. sorry
2: can you I'm trying to honestly think no I'm trying to think of a legit stadium band
3: from that time frame the Foo Fighters have become yeah. a mainstream big band mm-hmm. the masses still don't know who's playing drums you're right that's that's all they on have Dave's no back they no idea
2: they all know Dave Grohl he's the spokesman for rock and roll now
3: finally yes yeah. finally yeah. two albums ago they wouldn't have known right but, you know, there's Green Day, but do the masses know who the bass player is and stuff? No, it's not on that level. It ain't John, Paul, George, and Ringo. That's one you thing. know who's bigger? One Direction yeah. is bigger than 10 Foo Fighters and you're right. Green Days. They'll play four or five days in a stadium because okay. it's the teeny bop. So the pop thing is alive and big, and the pop divas are alive and big because the producers write their songs. But rock is dead. It really is. You can't name a rock band in the last 30 years that has risen to the levels. And pe- people get upset. You, well, you should have seen ACDC on uh, you know, the Grammys. Yeah, we took them out on their first tour. That's that generation. It comes from a different time. Of course. Yeah. When you had to get on the road and prove it mm-hmm. night after night. But like you said, You think too, Brian Johnson would make it on American Idol? You think Bon Scott would have? No. <laughs> exactly. That's but a great they, point. They are unique. Mm-hmm. I,
2: I think that aspect of, 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 of the game has definitely changed, the uniqueness of it. And also, too, like you mentioned, the fact that before you would have two revenue streams, actually three. You'd have merch, you'd have live shows, you'd have the records that you're selling.
3: Well, you, if you were lucky, you had a few. I don't, I don't ever remember anybody seeing uh, wearing a Styx T-shirt, but <laughs> if you were lucky, you had people buying T-shirts and stuff like that.
0: to talk is Jericho. Sitting
1: here
2: with Gene Simmons in his amazing home in Los Angeles in the middle of the uh, awesome Kiss Museum. and uh, We were talking about merch, the early years of merch, the early days of merch. So let me ask you, Gene, how early on into Kiss's career uh, did you start focusing on,
3: on Kiss merch? Well, I've been the, the capitalist pig maybe <laughs> of all the guys in the band. Originally Ace and Peter especially just hated the stuff but now, you know, now that they haven't been in the band for, in some cases, decades, they love the royalty checks. Mm. You don't hate it so much now, do you? Yeah. But I, I never played the credibility game. Credibility, I think, is for losers, because when you really think about who decides these things, like who decides this is credible and this is not, I thought I believe in the people, the power of the purchasing power. If people want something... You can't force them not to buy it. They want it. Mm -hmm. And if something is credible and nobody wants it, is it valid? I love Iggy and I love the Ramones, but they're failed bands. The people didn't buy their records or go to see their concerts. So what happened to the people? Mm -hmm. The Ramones, one of my favorite bands, may have one gold record in their entire career, never played more than smaller places anywhere so if people are the des- deciders, how come the people didn't buy it?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And whether we like it or not, uh, the Ramones have one gold record. Chicago has 22 platinum records in a row. <laughs> right. I'm not here to say what's good or bad. I'm saying the people have spoken. Yes. So this idea that just because somebody writes a review and states this is classic, says who?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who are
3: Who are you? You were never even in a band, and what qualifies you to say anything except fart through your mouth? Yeah, well, That's what critics, critics in all aspects, are usually just guys that didn't do what they wanted to do. You the know? best critics are the ones that buy tickets. Your fans. That's your validation. If you get into a show for free, your opinion doesn't count. You don't have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Your buying power is your ultimate, your vote. Everybody can talk about politics all they want. But unless and if you vote, you're just farting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is your purchasing power that validates your opinion.
2: But in the early '70s, there really wasn't a lot of merch and and uh, no, you know, licensing and, it and stuff wasn't like that.
3: Consider, it was considered Mickey Mouse. You know, like, what are you doing with all this stuff? I thought it was, it was like the end of the first year or something, and I was at Electric Lady Studios in New York, the place that Jimi Hendrix built. Mm-hmm. It was on 8th Street and 6th Avenue, and it was the Halloween Gay Day Parade. Now, during Halloween, the gay community was right in that area. It wasn't called Gay Day Parade. In those <laughs> days, the word gay was not a popular Man, term. You happy. What did they call it? It was well, say homosexual. Sure. Okay. But it wasn't called Gay Pride. The Gay, was pride, gay pride wasn't right? even a phrase. So everybody would – you'd see Marilyn Monroe – You'd see people dressed as Elvis Presley, and I saw f- four guys dressed like Kiss, without the guitars, without anything, just about the, the outer thing. And I said, wow. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't understand the word iconic at the time, but it rose to that level because you have Marilyn Monroe and Kiss. I go, like Wow. I didn't see a or anywhere. <laughs> and even if you
2: wanted to, how could you do that? How could you dress up as Lou Graham, you know?
1: Well,
3: yeah.
2: Right. That's the thing about, we were talking a little bit earlier about you know the kiss, uh, the imagery of the four, you know, Spaceman, Catman, Demon, Starchild. You could probably go to a foreign country or
3: maybe to your grandmother. She might not know the name Gene Simmons, but they would say, this is kiss. Well, you, you bring up a good point, And as a guy that, Can see by some of these magazine covers. As a guy that plays around in the marketing and all that kind of world, the assessment of many marketing entities is that the four most recognized faces on planet Earth are Kiss. Hmm. You you're aware of the Pope. Mm -hmm. Are you clear what his face looks like? I'm still thinking Pope John. No, no. It is astonishing to think. But everybody in the world knows what Kiss. Like you know that Sweden is it's an astonishing thing you just admit
2: yeah that's right you're still thinking pope john paul II. When i think the pope i'm still thinking about it's him long, that was from like the 80s time.
3: and you're still not really clear what the face looks like uh the king and queen of sweden it's a monarchy many people don't know that so those that do know know that there's a king and queen in sweden mm-hmm. do you know what the king and queen of sweden look like not a clue that's interesting because everybody in Sweden knows what Kiss looks like. <laughs> do you know the four faces of Mount Rushmore? Now that's even crazier, right? Do you? I don't think
2: so. I mean, do you gun know to the head. four
3: faces of Kiss? Of course, we win. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It, absolutely. I'm I'm shocked by it too. And, yes, we do make Mount Rushmore with Kiss Faces that we sell. I'm <laughs> sure. Yeah. How, how many uh, licensee licensed products is there? Do you know? You know it ebbs and flows. Just the Kiss Hello Kitty thing, there's another floor above us that's only Kiss Hello Kitty. Just that is about 1,500 items. Oh, my gosh. We're at about 5,000. So what's the, and you mentioned condoms and caskets,
2: what's some of the more, uh, not ridiculous, but unbelievable items? A
3: funeral urn? It's right over there And there it is lo and behold, the You see that uh, Colorful Well I'll, I'll show it to you But you take your ashes And you can Yeah The funeral urn so you've Oh got, sure So you got, you, you're, giving, you're giving people choices Of course the they... way I spell it Is E-A-R-N But
2: that's <laughs> Funeral urn Yeah But you're giving people choices When they die They can either go in a casket or If you're lucky
3: get... You have choices in life mm-hmm. And why shouldn't in death, why shouldn't people celebrate your life instead of mourn your death? You know. Yeah. If you had a good life, have a party. That's what I've got in my will. Yeah. I'm going. Forget about the tears and the stuff. I'm paying for a party. Yeah. Whoopee. I had a great ride. Are you going to Are you going to get buried in a kiss casket, or kiss urn? Uh, no, I think uh, I'll have the ashes sprinkled someplace. Cause it's not about like after I had my turn. Yeah. It's not about me, like you know. People want like the pyramids were about the pharaohs. Even after I'm gone, I want you to know that I was here. It's okay. Yeah. I had a great ride. After that, uh, if I do have a tombstone, it'll probably say thank you and good night. <laughs> right. Like, what are you gonna? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Let's talk about
2: Gene the musician. I mean, I think something that gets lost a lot of times with all of the, the kiss and the pomp and circumstance and the Gene Simmons, you know, the the the, the you know the books and everything. I think I think personally, you're very underrated as a musician, especially especially as a bass player. I don't care. No, but I'm saying I think that's something that uh, sometimes gets lost. You're a great bass player. I'm you know I'm not just saying that because you're here. I mean I listen to your bass lines. You're a Paul McCartney style bass player. Yep. You play almost opposite of what you're supposed to play. Yep. You know, and I think that's uh, something gets lost sometimes. Is that where are were you? Were you a McCartney disciple when you started playing?
3: Very much so. Uh, when I, and that's be yes, and that's because McCartney himself didn't start as a bass player, nor did I. I started on the guitar. guitar, and he started out as a guitarist. And basically, his strength is melody, mm-hmm. whether it's a songwriting, how he sings, and all that stuff. And so, it gets if you can play by ear which is what almost all of us do, whether it was Hendrix or Lennon McCartney, all those guys, the songwriters, couldn't really read or write music. I still can't. Neither could any of them. It might be a big surprise. Yeah. They wrote music by ear. They would pick up a guitar and try to figure out chords and just start humming and making up words, which is the magic of this thing called rock and roll because up until then, well, blues musicians were similar too, but you only had three chords. No diminished or minors or anything like that. Chords, those are diminished or minor chords. But the classical musicians and the jazz musicians all were able to read or write music. We can't. We still can't. So it is a magical thing because you're, you have a sound in your head, like a head head music. It's what you do in the shower. And then trying to figure out what those chords are, or you start with a riff and add a melody. So, because I love the sound of my own voice, I actually forgot what you asked.
2: You're answering. I just were talking about if McCartney was one of your. He was
3: not a classical bass player, except that, in a very real way, he's closer to a string quartet. That the way the cello works is not the way a bass works in a rock band, like ACDC, where dun 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 dun, you know that. Or, or Motown bass, yeah. because those are rhythmic instruments that are meant to give you a feel. In in uh, when you listen to Beatles songs, you actually remember the melody of the bass. You can you can pick out. The and sometimes and that's where the kiss thing came from, where the bass would sometimes start playing a melody, a lick, and then Harrison would do the lick with the bass, so it almost sounded like a horn part. And that's where that stuff with kiss started. So Paul, I was telling Paul I was going to write a song called Black Diamond because the Stones had a song called uh, Brown Sugar. Wow. About another prostitute, so- Brown Sugar black diamond she's like a diamond in the rough kind of thing and he goes hey that's a great idea but he beat me to it so he came in with his own song called black diamond i'm going hey that's fine." Yeah. so he, he he played me the chords and the stuff and i go that's really good but it's missing something so i added the da, which is not blues at all is very classical in the way it moves and so because sometimes it got lost in the choruses I mean in the chords everybody in that in those days ace ace and Paul would play the riff with us and it felt like horn parts so that I did the same thing in "Lover all I can he came up with lover all I can so I did and we all played it like and they're like horn parts and so that became a thing in Strutter and Black Dunn, like song after song after song, the riffs of all of us playing uh, together like horn parts. And often the melodies, because I'm usually almost always the guy that started doing those riffs, didn't sound bluesy. Uh, And very quickly I realized that some of the songs could be just riffs. Hmm watch and you goes bow battle da better do bow battle it da 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 do do I mean that's those are classical riffs that sound like horn parts mm-hmm. going up the scales and so we all did that and then in harmonies and then at
2: yeah. the second guitar Yeah, and so
3: there was no design it was like we were chasing what we were hearing the head tones all of us you'd hear something in your head and you you chase it And it is amazing that there are only eight notes in music, and yet you can have diverse sounds coming from Yes to Zeppelin to ACDC to Kiss to... And all within just the rock genre is amazing.
2: Are the Beatles your favorite
3: band? Well, they shame everybody else. There are other really exceptional high-end. Queen is difficult to get next to. But nobody covers Queen songs everybody covers Beatles yeah. songs because those songs are undeniable. Here's what I mean. Queen may be the most accomplished of the bands. Just every single one of those guys wrote a number one hit single. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah. By John themselves. Another one bites the dust, yeah. Yep. Which is amazing. It's amazing. So they're beyond compare. Uh, Zeppelin, it, it seems to me, it was Page's band. Those riffs are all him and then mm-hmm. every, everything on top. But... The, the genius of the Beatles was, you think of a title, Yesterday. Okay, here's how it goes. Yesterday, Alma. So the title of the song is the very first word of the song. Uh, sometimes the title of the song even starts before the drums and the guitars. Hey, before Hey Jude comes in, <laughs> yeah. you hear the vocal. Yeah. Michelle, she loves you, yeah. That's, Can't the, buy me love, That's the song. Yeah. Blackbird, Blackbird mm-hmm. sitting in the de- It It's such... It's such a high level of songwriting that you don't even realize the genius. Mm-hmm. You know, if I fell, if uh, that those those two words start before the band comes the in, you yeah. come in on fell. Yeah. If I fell, fell in yeah. love with you. Would you? <laughs> and by the way, the beginning of that doesn't ever occur in the song again. It's more like opera because it's a. Wow, yes. good if point. Yes, if I fell in love with you, would dream too to Understand? Help me because yeah. I've been in love before when I found out I've been just holding hands. That's Kira's. the intro. Yeah, That's the intro. Good point, yeah. If I give my... And it goes off, and you never hear that beginning. Name of the song, the first three words. That's the most... Be- if I fell in... That's what you remember. It's genius. <laughs> it's almost like a nursery rhyme. Penny behind. Lane, it's just... She loves you. Yeah. Nobody's come close to that songwriting. People try... Genius in its simplicity, deceptively. The hardest, thing, the hardest thing to do is to write a good, simple song. Mm. Lady Madonna. What's the name of the song? That is actually <laughs> That's the it, name yeah. of the song. Yep, there it goes. <laughs> What's your favorite Beatles album? Oh, good Lord. You know, they had a philosophy. In America, the release patterns were all mixed up. But they had a philosophy that they cared so much about the their fans that they wouldn't release singles on albums hmm. they thought the, the albums should be complete statements of brand new material and singles were off on the side yeah so there were no Beatle albums released with hey, "Penny J. lane and hey jude and like Strawberry all that Fields stuff Forever, yeah. no there they were all original records and in america then they stuck out uh, like hard day's night was a soundtrack yeah with some singles on it but they didn't appear on Beatle records and then you had the greatest hits, Let It Be albums, and so on. For me, it's difficult to pick a best song or a best album because they're undeniably the best songwriters, certainly in the modern era, of anybody. Hundreds and hundreds of songs. They did it when they were 20.
1: That's I, crazy. I didn't even
3: know how to wipe my ass at 20. <laughs> they had hundreds of songs, and they only lasted seven years. It's unbelievable, and so many different styles of music, creative, so it's created so many styles, enormous, and the yeah. evolution from "She Loves You" to "Sgt. Pepper" and uh, "Strawberry Fields Forever" backwards tapes and like yeah. all this In two or three and symphonic, years. and
2: you know. But there was also a whole cultural phenomenon that happened. But Kiss had that too, I and mean, when you guys got huge. Everybody suddenly became all about Kiss. It was Kiss, 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 Kiss. It's amazing to me the similarities between Beatles and Kiss. Four faces, well four we were, singers.
3: We were always the template was was the Beatles. We really did want a band where everybody sang, everybody had their own personalities, and everybody could be you know a star and take their their point. And we forced the issue with Ace who initially didn't write didn't songs want, and didn't want to sing right yeah didn't want to sing didn't want to i just want to play the guitar he wanted to be jimmy page mm-hmm. and so we were the ones that you got a lick you got a thing and he finally came in with his first song cold gin and it didn't have a middle so i added in the bridge so i had so that section in but didn't take songwriting credit because you want yeah to have his thing like here's my song and we said, "Sing the song." No, I don't want to sing the song. You sing the song. Jim. So <laughs> it took it took him a while to kind of step up to the mic. But again, rock is about being an individual. Nobody sounds like Ace when he sings. That's mm-hmm. that's who he is, and that's what you want. Likewise, Peter, you could hear the differences in the tonalities and the style when people sang, and that's what we want. We wanted to be. The Beatles on steroids.
2: <laughs> and
3: that's what you became.
2: Like we talked about with the, the iconic characters. Now, you on stage play a character. Like You here, we're talking. You're very
3: laid back. Really Not nice. so much. Uh, I don't know if character is the term. Is it becoming something else? Yeah. yeah. You uh, Maybe boxers understand this or the military understand this. You can hang out and cool and drink. And when you get into battle or when you get into the ring... You're, you're a different person. Mm-hmm. The adrenaline kicks in, your mindset is different, and you're very focused on that thing. Whereas right before, you were having cookies and milk and watching cartoons <laughs> or hanging out with your daughter or whatever. Uh, but when you get in the ring, you don't think about anything else except that's my obstacle, that's my goal. And the war paint, if anything else, and the accoutrement, the battle gear and stuff, is just, uh, immersion. Mm-hmm. It, it's closer to Jekyll and Hyde. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I'm aware of it. I can talk about it here sitting and and sort of studying it, but, I, but I'm aware when it's starting to happen, I, I'm aware that I'm stronger, that my stamina lasts longer on stage, mm-hmm. and that when really? I walk off stage, I start to feel aches and pains that I didn't have. You know, doctors and stuff talk about this. When you go into shock... You can be shot and stuff like that. Your body has all kinds of chemicals that it releases so that you don't feel pain until much, much later. So on stage, I get cut and burned because uh, I spit fire. I'm yeah, that guy. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> you, you get burned, cut, uh, black and blue marks, but you don't feel it for two hours afterwards, and then it hurts.
2: Yeah, and then you realize what just happened. What did well, I do? You've been in the rain, right? Absolutely, you get
3: hit, and then uh, you know, next day you wake up and go, "What?" The in the hell is morning that? is when you really find oh, like, what the yeah. hell.
2: When you when when you started talking about light, you know, spinning fire, and I know you set your hair on fire a couple of times. Sometimes I mean, my ass too. Your ass too. The ass. Your ass. Hair. Spicy Italian food. Back. <laughs> I mean, that's the worst though. Like lighting, like
3: hair burning. That must neck, have been neck burning. In wow. The, in the original days first times i tried it i used lighter fluid which is you know dangerous and i didn't know
2: so you're just basically spitting out lighter fluid
3: yeah not smart huh <laughs> but we didn't know we would never tried it uh before and you know there was such a a uh, it was such a crazy time it was like the uh, uncharted territory we knew that what we were doing was a kind of a take no prisoners attitude here we are fourth on the bill to blue oyster cult iggy pop a local band called um, flaming youth as a matter of fact hmm. was it flaming youth might have been which then became a song in in either case that Paul started writing that used one of my riffs, which was an original song that I wrote called Mad Dog. So you take the riff from (laughs) that into that. And so we're fourth on the bill. Nobody has a clue who we are. We're playing New Year's Eve, 1973, 74. Nobody has a clue who we are. And here we are in front of 3,000 people. And in the third song, I go out there to Spitfire, I hadn't been doing it long. And before we got up on stage, I sprayed my hair a lot. And as it is, you know, it's really kind of puffy and stuff. And even now, see all this? I still use lots of hairspray. But in those days, I read that Ronnie Wood and Rod Stewart sprayed not the ends. The top. But, but the top, you know, kind of where the root is so that the hair would stand up. Yeah, like a rooster. the little roostery look. Yeah, Yeah. So I did that everywhere. And so the... The outer strands had some hairspray, but they were standing up, and of course, there's air in between there. So, of course, on the can of hairspray it says, "Gene, asshole. <laughs> Remember to read this, because as soon as you <laughs> spit fire, you're going to go up like a cotton ball." You know, stuff. <laughs> sure enough, I spit fire, and I start to go up, and I see the audience jump to their feet, going "Whoa!" And I didn't know I was on fire. The right so your hair is side. actually on fire. Oh, yeah. It didn't just go. like Phew. You're talking fast, burning fast and there was a flame so first it was the outer uh you know sort of layer of it and all i knew was within a second or two somebody was over me with a wet towel and put it out i thought it was a fan running over i didn't know uh but it was not the only time and of course the audience from then on went insane we also had a bit where we had a candelabra on stage yeah and paul was doing a hundred thousand years Uh, off of our first record which we wrote together and there was a bit where we had gunpowder with flash paper rolled up like and it looked like a candy kiss so i would go over with a fuse i'd go over to the candelabra light it and as Paul was going, do you feel all right? I wanted to throw it above the heads of the people so they'd get an explosion over their heads. In those days, the fire department didn't kill. It's like, sure, just, you want to blow up the odds? Sure. <laughs> yeah, <Go ahead>. sure. <laughs> I'll never forget this. The idea was to throw it above their heads. Well, instead of throwing high, I threw straight like a strike ball. And I remember a guy who stood up on his seat... Like on the back <laughs> oh, of the seat gosh. to go over their heads, and I hit him smack dab in the face, and it exploded, and I saw him go <laughs> under like those duck pulls that you go, <laughs> yeah, and the
1: duck
3: goes now the God's honest truth is that after the concert, the gentleman came backstage, and we were scared to death because the guy that came backstage, the manager brought him backstage because he wanted to kind of make nice and stuff, and we were all horrified to see. Cheddar cheese melted over like his entire, ooh, the right side, the eyebrow and everything was just melted over his thing. But he was apparently either so high or so drunk that he was going, <laughs> wow, man, it was the greatest thing. And of course, the manager took him to the hospital and I had him sign a waiver like, uh, sorry, you, got, you know, I had a great time. Thanks so much. <laughs> but that could have ended our career. Oh, absolutely. So we stopped doing that. We, I stopped doing that yeah. right after that. But at thereafter, I would catch fire at least five or six times more. And eventually I had to stop using lighter fluid because it goes up like that. Now I use lamp oil. So now that hasn't happened for years and years and years. No, you can still catch fire, but it, it takes longer. and needs more oxygen for the lamp oil to catch. Needless to say, I don't want to, you know, focus in on that because some... Not job someplace. To right, 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 right. Wow, I'm in Iowa. There's not much to do today. <laughs> Why don't I spit funds? No, don't do right, it. No, right. don't do it.
2: So many hor- horror movie elements, though, from The Demon. I mean, obviously, you're, you're a fan of horror
3: movies to this day. Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, I have a film fund, and we're starting the first of four right away. Oh, making movies? Yeah. Ah, horror movies. Yeah. First one's Devil's Triangle. Starts shooting May what kind of what kind of horror movies do you like? I don't like slasher things. Uh, it's too easy to take a knife and open up a, a body and see guts. So right. what? I much prefer the if it's a psychological horror, then it's like Psycho. Mm. If you ever saw a Psycho, you never actually see a knife entering a body. No, you don't. And there are no monsters, but it's all psychological horror because you're always scared to death. Insidious is a great example of that. You don't need blood and guts. You can have the daylight scared out of you. It's so scary, that clapping and scene. You wait until you see the new one. I know about the new one. Oh, really? Oh, you'll have <laughs> nightmares for days. Blood and guts is just disgusting. You, you know, you can go to the kitchen and watch It's mom. easy, yeah. Yeah, watch mom open a, a chicken in the, in the sink. <laughs> yeah. Ah, it's disgusting. Yeah, but it's not scary. Scary is what's in the closet and what's under the bed at night. Mm-hmm. That's much scarier. So I prefer that stuff, and I like uh, fantasy. There's a book called Stranger in a Strange Land that's been tried a few times in varying degrees about a an original colony uh earthlings who go up there and crash lands and stuff, and there's a boy who gets raised up there by these beings that we call Martians and stuff, right. but he has no idea what life on Earth is because he's never been here. And it's the story about how they rescue him and he comes back. Uh, It almost has a kind of a death takes a holiday thing. Like if you ever saw Joe Black. Yeah, meet Joe Black, yeah. Meet Joe Black. So I developed that with Michael Mann. Really? Decades ago. And I was going to (laughs) be death. Oh. About uh, the basic premise of meet Joe Black, which was death takes a holiday originally. And stranger in a strange land is the nature of, humanity and our life and what we all take things for granted. So hypothetically, death, the embodiment of death, wonders, why is it that human beings are so afraid of of, uh, dying? Like, it's natural. What is it about life that makes them hold on to it? Because he's never experienced mortality. So for the weekend, he decides to become human to see what life is like. So he tastes his first hot dog, <laughs> yeah. he gets his first kiss, and peanut butter, and he, he underst- and starts to see the, the wonder of what life is to understand it. And that's appealing to me, hmm. where it's not about scaring things, it's just about this pure fantasy, like what would happen right. if death walked among us, not to scare people or anything, but just, just to he's, see what's he's like. wondering, like, what's it like to be human? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: What, uh, have you ever seen any J-Horror movies, like Japanese horror movies you talk about Japan? Oh, yeah. There's some really creepy ones from there. Oh, the Ring ones. Ring, have them. you seen the Audition? Yes. That one is, that one is a freaky one. You will one. have nightmares nuts, for days. Yes. Anybody that likes horror movies that has not seen the Audition
3: that's listening right now, you got to go check they it have out. great filmmakers there. We think of Japanese as Godzilla and yeah. you know, stuff like that. No, these, uh, the new generation, especially in the last 20, 30 years, these guys are real film buffs. And the tone that they said over there, its,
2: it's we've had the remake of, of The Ring here and The Grudge and those ones. And they're, they're good, but there's something about when you see the actual originals, the tone of it, the feel of it, it's
3: really, really uh, offsetting. has to do with the filmmaker. Yes. So the actor is not the star. Yeah. It is the film. The director, that's right.
2: When you uh, we were talking about earlier about playing, not playing, but being the demon, did you have, uh, was it hard for you uh, when you guys took the makeup off, now your gene—did you have a little bit of? A, was there a little bit of an identity crisis issue? Was it hard to take that off and because you're leaving almost the character behind too?
3: Not a character, but uh, you keep saying that—not a character, becoming this entity. It it wasn't hard, but it took a while to come down. How do you mean? Well, you're you're still you're pumping that stuff, the uh the adrenaline and stuff takes a while to come down. And sometimes after the shows not often, but sometimes your guest for the evening would want you to keep the stuff off. Oh. <laughs> I meant though like in eighty three when you actually took the makeup off on stage. Oh I see. You mean like yeah. yes, yes. I was lost. Oh yes. That's what I meant, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was lost because immersion into the you know, like the uh you know the id, the un- when you throw off all the uh, outer coverings of society and just kind of get closer to animal. That's easier because you just let it go. Because we're op- you know we're operating under civilized terms and we control our emotions and stuff like that. And getting up on stage and and being me as the demon was like letting go. But when we took the makeup off. I got to be me, but, like, who am I? Mm. Because who I really am is I'm not from here. I'm from another country, and I've always felt like an outsider and still do. Mm. I still don't walk and talk and abide by the same things. For one thing, I've never gotten high or drunk in my life, and that seems to be the Which natural. is amazing, the fact that you've been in rock and roll for 40 years. Okay. That's what I mean, but it is. But a- when I grew up, it was normal. And if you gotcha, you were never drank in public because you were like a derelict. It was <laughs> a negative. Nobody got high when I was doing it. You were just, you know, they were, you heard about hippies in the late sixties, but when in the early sixties, I didn't know about drugs or anything. It just wasn't part of the culture. Gotcha. Drugs came in like a tsunami. So, and drinking was considered.
2: You were a bum. Hmm. Derelict is a great word.
3: <laughs> yeah. You were a derelict. Yeah. You were a juvenile delinquent, you were on the street corner, you drank. In fact, people were not allowed to carry drinks in public or something. They'd carry a brown paper bag. I'm not kidding. No, yeah. You couldn't walk with a can of beer down the street. That was the real sign of a wino if you had the oh, brown yeah. paper bag, yeah.
2: You were like negative. Yeah, so so you didn't drink or you didn't do drugs. So playing, you know, just being Gene, you felt like an outsider on stage without the without the makeup,
3: without the demon. Yes, because it was the time of the pretty boys. Mm-hmm. It was Bon Jovi and Poison, where the guys were really. It was a feminized version of rock and roll, mm-hmm. and I didn't feel comfortable with that. The guys had better hair than the girls. And they were really good looking guys and they wore rouge and you know mm-hmm. stuff like that. Paul was much more comfortable with it. in fact he still is. Mm-hmm. He's closer Paul is closer on stage and off stage to who he is than I am. Well, even the character Star Child basically is a rock star. The demon is a demon. But <laughs> the truth is that we both invented ourselves was because Paul was a fat little pudgy Jewish kid who reinvented himself as Paul Stanley. And I wasn't born in America. I came from Israel, Your and I immigrant. had to reinvent myself as Gene Simmons, and then again as that. So in a lot of ways, Kiss was our armor to so that we didn't have to be ourselves mm-hmm. because ourselves weren't interesting enough.
2: <laughs> you know, I'm a huge 80s Kiss fan because that's when I kind of was, got into Kiss at the age I was in. And I noticed from 82 to 92... There was never a Gene Simmons single video. And then finally Revenge comes around and it's like the return of Gene.
3: Well, I I felt more heterosexual as they say on Revenge. It felt masculine. And so the lyrics and the the look was different though. You had the goatee.
2: You 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 looked like, okay, finally that's Gene Simmons without makeup.
3: It was closer to what I felt yeah. natural in which is why the songs connected came more easily crazy nights and that stuff was more Paul mm-hmm. uh, you know personality and so all the songs that i was writing in those days weren't re- you know i was uncomfortable so because you're went, uncomfortable your songwriting
2: reflected look. well of course yeah because yeah, because you you're right. Those songs weren't up to snuff with no. I Love It Loud to Domino or actually it was Unholy, which was the first return of Gene Unholy, Simmons. Yeah. That was like, okay, create, uh, Creatures Ends and Here's Revenge, and then there's the albums in between that were just kind of That's right. like you said Paul Paul stuff. Yep. He carried the the load there. Yep. I was wondering about that. That's a good
3: point. Well, it has to at the beginning and you're you're about to get into a fight in real life. And you've got the muscles and the, but it's really about the the will, the mm-hmm. heart. Either either you, either you're like, I take no prisoners. I'm going to kick at. Or if you don't have the will, mm. it's just not going to happen. It starts on the inside. If you're uncomfortable with yourself, I mean, I know, I'm delusionally confident in myself. I know I'm not the best looking guy in the world, but I will steal your girlfriend. <laughs> I will walk into any room. I have no no question in my mind and because you don't have that question in your mind is in fact what gives you the power to do that whether you're in a fight or running for political office or getting on stage without the inside the fire in your belly you're nothing on the the outside is just stuff
2: that's a great point if you have confidence in anything that's when they, you could go on stage right now in front of 20,000 people with no song, no set list, and entertain them. Don't you know, care. You, yeah. I could have a match with you in a wrestling ring right now. Just listen to what I say. It will be great. But if you don't have that confidence,
1: you got it
2: doesn't matter what you do. You're never going to second-guess yourself. There was a little
3: Puerto Rican guy that I went to school with. I mean, he couldn't have been 5'2", five, 5'3". Five, and everybody used to pick on him. I used to hang out with him, and he used to teach me how to curse and stuff like that. And he told me about the original Indians, the Boricua, mm-hmm. who uh, were originally there before the white, you know, the Spanish Europeans came in and enslaved them and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So everybody used to pick on them and stuff like that. And we were in the schoolyard, and what was the guy's name? Not Bert. Uh, Morgan, that's it. Uh, big guy came over, and he started making racist comments, blah, 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 and because, oh, hell, what, the, what was the guy's name? Anyway, my Puerto Rican friend would back off because the guy was much bigger. And then he said something about the kid's mother, Mm. like Jekyll and Hyde. The first thing he did was kick the big guy in the nuts. And when he (laughs) bent over, he jumped on him like a monkey on your back and kept clawing at his eyes and biting his neck and the stuff. And the guy fell to the ground like a little 12-year-old girl and started crying. Mm. You never It was like an H-bomb went off. Because he had that feeling. that Because fire. it was his mom. Mm. Without that, he was just a little kid. Right. When when you talked about his mom, he was, uh, vengeance, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. <laughs> you couldn't get that guy off because he wasn't afraid of getting hurt, you mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to be in a fight with a guy who does not care if he gets hurt. All he wants to do is inflict pain and suffering on you. That's not the guy you want to fight. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Because you can win the fight. You're going to walk out of there. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Mess.
2: <laughs> Did you, um, were, were you, um, when the idea came about to, to put the makeup back on and do a reunion, were you behind that more than Paul or was that kind of a group decision? Were you excited about the concept of b- returning and no. saying hi to the demon again?
3: No, I wasn't because, uh, you know, I'm the guy that started the, the Kiss Convention thing and then Tommy Thayer at that point. Was working for us, you know. He was in a mm-hmm. road manager and stuff like that, and put the Kiss conventions together. And we were busy doing Carnival of Souls with Eric and Bruce. And
2: because the band was hot, and that but Revenge was was a great record, we do- and we that doing, band was great.
3: We were doing fine, and yeah. outside of America, playing stadiums, we were doing fine. But then Eric Singer suggested inviting Peter Chris to one of the Kiss conventions. And we sent him a car and stuff like that. And it was very cordial. Hey, nice to see you. How's life? And then in New York, Eric said, well, you've got to invite Ace to come up on stage and do a song. That went okay for a song or two because you remember the history of it was drugs and alcohol and, mm. you know, like the It cli- wasn't even unique, mm-hmm. it had been done before. The typical story. But it, they seemed to be okay. And then MTV asked us to do the unplug thing. And we looked at each other, and I don't remember who suggested it, but it was like, hey, why don't we invite Ace and Peter up on stage the way we did at the conventions? They seem straight, doesn't no drugs and booze, so that's the prerequisite. Kiss is a straight band. So we invited them up to do two or three songs, and it went well. So then we looked at each other and said, well, maybe we should do the... Because uh, we were self-managed at the time. Mm-hmm. I was making a lot of the calls to... Get us booked. Promoters and stuff, yeah. Yeah, there was no. In fact, I booked the South American tour by calling some of the promoters because I kept track of names and stuff. Oh, we didn't have a manager. Right. And when we decided to put the band together, we needed a manager. So I put together a list of 10 different managers and stuff because it would be far too big for us to handle on our own and doc mcgee was one of the guys and we interviewed freddie demand and different people and everybody had their own spit and we connected with mcgee who we gave two shots he asked us for the first tour of a new band he was taking care of called bon jovi <laughs> and then he asked for us to take a new band of his called motley Crue out <laughs> so we took them both out on their first shows first uh, tour yeah. bon jovi overseas and motley <laughs> over here in america but in either case, when McGee came back, I was always wary of the fact because it was about Ace and Peter. Mm-hmm. Once a drunk and once a drug addict, always a drug You have to wake up every day, I'm told, and say, I am an alcoholic mm-hmm. or I am a drug addict. And every day is a battle, I'm told. Mm-hmm. Every day is a choice for you to be straight. It's not like I'm no longer a drug addict. Right. No, no. yes. Every day you will continue to be a drug addict. Forever and an alcoholic for the rest of your life. And every day is going to be a choice of whether you go back. And that's what I learned. So I was always wary. And sure enough, in a very short time, even before the very first show, Tiger Stadium sold out, Ace flaked out, went off the deep end, and it was torture for years. Yeah, Both Ace and Peter. but Once a drug addict. And that doesn't mean that they're not nice people. When Ace and Peter are straight, sweethearts, and we love them, when they're high, I cannot stand mm-hmm. being in the same room, and I'm sure people say the same thing about their father. <laughs> yeah, He's a loser and a loving father when he st- and when he gets high or drunk, it's a different will, person. Will beat his kids and torture his wife. Yeah,
2: but that that, notwithstanding, to put the makeup on and be the demon again after fifteen, twelve, whatever years it was, was it? Did it? Was
3: it? A, did you feel? Was it cool, or was it just another day at the office? No, no, it was. Uh, uh, it was deep. Those first few times was deep, and it went by very fast. The first show we did was at Tiger Stadium right. in Detroit, was sold out, sold out like in 45 minutes. Yeah. And there's an, another cautionary tale, and that is, I had run into Wyland because we had Stone Temple Pilots opening. They were just starting to come up. And I had heard the horror stories about Wyland and drugs. And we happened to go to the same party, and I cornered him outside, and I said, listen, here's your opportunity. You're going to be in front of a sold-out stadium crowd. We're going to give you all the sound and lights. We don't play dirty. There's a chance for you to really get your band up on stage, so stay straight, okay? Don't do the stupid stuff. Gene, my hand to God. You know, every drug, Mm -hmm. every drug he promises on their children and God. And sure enough, he went off the deep end, so they were tossed off. Mm -hmm. They were thrown off the thing and Allison Chains wound up the opener. And right before when we got to tiger stadium, I mean, it was the whole town was buzzing. They knew we were going to start off with Detroit rock city, you know, like, and it was going to be mania and lane state, you know, the, yeah, the lane singer, lead yeah. singer. I cornered him before they went up on stage. And I said, lane, keep it together. I know that you got the heroin thing, but, uh, Here's a chance. Allison, in Chains, you're going to be, it can really propel you. And then from then on, you know, good luck to you. Mm. Gene, I promise, you know, the same thing. Listen, I'm straight and all that stuff. And within two weeks, he was dead. Mm. Can you see that happening? Do
2: you know after all these years? Being the straight guy in the room in 40 years of rock and roll? No.
3: I didn't even know. I, can- I still can't read when somebody's high or drunk. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not good. Sometimes I see dysfunctional behavior. But I don't know if they're high or just mm-hmm. being assholes, mm-hmm. right, right, right. But I'm always afraid that Ace in particular is going to, even now. Well, he said to me at least on two different occasions, if I don't get out of the band, I'm going to kill myself. Mm.
2: Well, that's what happened to Mick Taylor in the Stones. He had to quit or else he was going to die. He, th- he said, "You know, that's
3: what he says." Did you save Ace Ace's life? Uh, both Ace and Peter, on different occasions. Because the... Ace doesn't remember decades of his life. So Uh when he wrote this No Regrets book, he asked fans to send him stories. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) Send me stories about what happened I may not remember. (laughs) And um, to his credit, before the book came out, he called me up and said, you want to meet at the Beverly Hills Hotel? I want to read you a chapter I wrote about you. And I said, sure. How you been? Oh, I'm fine. I'm straight now. And I go, okay, that's great. So we met, and he read, and he gave me the few pages, and he looked okay, Mm -hmm. and the pages said, South Carolina, uh, I'm on the diving board, and there's a scarf, and I'm holding champagne glass, and jumping up and down, and Gene, you're over there at the side of the pool saying, don't jump, you're drunk, get off the thing, you're going to drown, and I say, you Jew boy, you Christ killing mother, I'll do whatever I want to (laughs) do. And I dive into the pool and then start to drown. And you, because you used to be a lifeguard at a the client's hotel, yeah. <laughs> dive in and uh, pull you know pull me out, put your hand up to the, and get me up on the thing and then push the air out and you saved my life. And thank you, Gene, and blah, blah, blah. And A says, so what do you think about that? Is it accurate? I'm going, well, 99% accurate. He goes, oh, great. What's the 1% that's not accurate? I said, well... Yes, the diving board, yep, yeah. scarf, yep, champagne glass in the hand, yep, yeah. drowning in the pool, yep, I dive in, pull out, Yeah. He goes, well, what's the unpercent?" I said, well, it wasn't you. It was Peter Chris. <laughs> you were flat out unconscious the way you usually were on the side of the pool. It never happened to you. I had no idea. <laughs> Nothing, right? No
2: oh man just winding down here gene uh i mean you've got so much stuff going on like you said number one song in japan i I see your tour schedule it's just it's international as always kiss cruise you never you guys never stop what what is your what is your overall plan for kiss do you want to see this band continue on with the four characters the four iconic faces with other guys could that even happen personas personas right sure why not
3: yeah you know uh You have to consider that half the band, we've had 10 lineups. 10? 10. Wow. We are playing, in South America, it's almost all stadiums. Yeah. In Japan, it's the stadium in Tokyo. In Europe, they're all outdoor big. And this is without support. This is just KISS. Yep. You know, the States is KISS and Def
2: Leppard. That was huge business. But over there, it's just you guys. Yep.
3: I don't see anybody holding up signs, Ace or Peter Mm -hmm. and stuff. Because the personas of the band, again, you joined, you started to like the band around 1980. About what? 84. Yeah. You know, but we'd been around 10 years long. Yeah. When people go to see the Stones today, they have no idea who Brian Jones yeah. was. you're right. Or Mick Taylor. Or yeah. They have no idea. Bill Wyman. <laughs> yeah. They have no idea. All they know is the songs and the Stones. I mean, they might know Mick and so mm-hmm. on. And people want the thing. And more and more, rock bands are becoming less and less common. There are less and less bands. And when you think about it, however, the bands that rule stadiums play guitar.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: That's true. There ain't no synth band that plays stadiums. Mm -hmm. There are no synth stars. There are rock stars, you know, whether singers and guitar. That stuff still rules the world, but there are few of them. It's either the pop, you know, songstresses with dancers from Las Vegas. Right, the boy bands, the, One uh, Direction, like you bands, said, yeah. Uh, and with tapes, you know, yeah. with pre-recorded gotcha. music. Right. We're real. ACDC's real. Mm-hmm. is real. They play live on stage. There's no nonsense mm-hmm. going on. So they're very, you know, Maiden is still around, but there's just a handful. It's not a lot. But those bands can't continue when they're done. That is correct, sir. Your band. Yeah, we will. It's, I said this a while back and people hated it. Kiss isn't just a band, it's a brand. And that's bigger than a band. Mm -hmm. Because when you see the stuff, well, for instance, Kiss Hello Kitty are these, here's toilet paper. Kiss Hello Kitty toilet paper. Yeah, there's no guitars on there. Yeah. Yeah, we write decent songs and I'm not (laughs) saying I don't delude myself. We couldn't shine. The shoes of Lennon and McCartney or anything. So I don't delude myself. There's some good songs, but it's bigger than rock. When you see Bart Simpson dressed as Gene Simmons. Gene Bart Simmons. <laughs> Bart Simmons. The, <laughs> Bart Simmons. The story goes: his mother talks with Bart, and he, he goes, "Mom, everybody in school's making fun of me because my tongue's long." He goes, "Well," she says, "I have to tell you, I had a." One-nighter with Gene Simmons, and <laughs> you're the son of the god of thunder. And then he turns into, like, Kevin shake. Right, right. And he sticks his tongue out and <laughs> kicks the ass of all those kids that made fun of him. Yeah. Me. It's bigger mm. than guitars and songs. There will only be one Stones When they're done, they're done. Mm-hmm. Kiss can continue to the next century. There's just... But without you and Paul? Sure. Why delude yourself into your thinking that you're everything... When I was growing up, Mickey Mantle was the Yankees and Roger Maris. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. They can't, like without Mantle. But once upon a time, they said the same thing about Babe Ruth. Well, without Babe Ruth, it,
2: but... Well, I guess it's almost like James Bond or Batman. You know, I mean, there's been 10 James Bonds. That's have your favorite. Yeah. And then the thing is, this has never been done before with a band. But that's kind of Kiss's entire raison d'etre. Your, your whole God bless you. mindset that's from exactly the start... Right.
3: Don't follow the rules. Be yeah. the rule breaker. You know, this thing called rock and roll really started by very pale-skinned kids who copied black music, this yeah. blues thing, and made it their own or their version of it. We're singing the blues. No, you're not. You're doing like the white version of it. And then they amplified it up and made it louder with electric guitars, and it sort of became like white man's yeah, music, right. or whatever that thing is. But there were no rules. Nobody said, this is how you do it. In in classical music, you sit down. Here's how you play the song. Everybody's got to play because it it's written down. Yeah. Here's how you do it. Right. And you can't veer from that. There are no rules in rock and roll. And by virtue of that, we're rock and roll. We're saying there are no rules. Kiss will continue because who says we shouldn't? <laughs> yeah. yeah, even without me. Yeah. I'm not all that important. What's important is the band and the brand, the consistency and the integrity Of the idea and the ideal, which is that for a few hours, our job is to make you forget about the traffic jam and about the argument you had with somebody, and it all means nothing, Mm -hmm. except that you're glad to be alive. And at the end of the day, there's the celebration of it, and you go back relieved in some way. Mm -hmm. And there are other bands that that do other things, that have poignant songs about emotion and... uh, politics and the inequality of blacks or jews or gays and that's great mm. that's what they do that's not what we do we're like a john philip Sousa marching band it <laughs> makes you want to uh, get up and march and just kind of like you're alive. happy to be alive yeah you're yeah. alive and that's why we believe in the word i in fact i wrote that song oh, I a song called i yeah I believe in me. I believe in something more than you can understand. Yes, I believe in me. I don't need to get wasted. It only holds me down because I got a will of my own and the balls and the guts to stand alone. Yes, I believe in me. And I think that's a good piece of advice for everybody. Don't be a lemming. Mm -hmm. The the edge of the cliff is right ahead of you. (laughs) Just because everybody else is jumping off of it, you know, uh, how come you never got high? I'm going, really? You're you're asking that? I mean, if just by observation, your schmeckle doesn't get bigger, you don't get smarter, you don't <laughs> live longer, there's nothing that you say that's going to be witty. It costs money. If you drink too much, uh, your schmeckle won't even work. <laughs> the next day you'll have a headache, you'll smell like a sailor. And what's the upside? I don't get it. What's the upside? I could almost understand. Yeah, drink a lot or get high a lot. You'll be twice as big and right. you'll be twice as smart and you'll run fast. Oh, okay, I get it. Because listen, I don't, I don't uh, support it. But the athletes that took that self-enhancing kind of stuff, I get it. Mm-hmm. You go faster. You put the stuff. You go faster and you don't die. Oh, okay. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> right. But drugs and the stuff. Look, like, why'd you rob the bank? Because uh, I got money and then I can have money to buy this or support my kids oh that's why you robbed it why are you using drugs and getting high? uh because it made me feel crazy, crazy. yeah yeah
2: <laughs> last question favorite song that you wrote and favorite song you like to play live if you couldn't even do that well, it's hard. a
3: song a song is never just a song because it's got it's like a soundtrack of what was going on at the time mm-hmm. so deuce probably because it may have been one of the simplest songs I ever wrote, but we started our sets with that from song, the first tour through many tours. And so for me, it brings pages of memories. And it's a no-nonsense song that basically tells the girl to shut her trap because I'm worth twice as much as you do because I bring home the bacon. Ah, that's what that means. That's what he's worth a deuce. Get means. up and get your grandma out of here. In other words, shut up. Pick up old Jim is working hard this year. Baby, just do the things he says to do. Because baby, if you're feeling good, baby, if you feel, you know your man is working hard, he's worth a deuce. I'm worth twice as much as you are because I work. And by the way, secretly, every guy that works for a living while the wife is at home immediately feels it. He goes, that's right. Yeah. so do you <laughs> Yeah. Is that and there's so- this politically correct notion of well I do the housework and you're no you can add no bitch you can say that <laughs> or I'll stay at home and I'll do the dishes you go out and work and you, mm-hmm. you support me and uh, yeah. buy me jewelry and buy me cars no Yeah. the politically correct notion doesn't really work in real life secretly guys because they want peace at home believe in their hearts yeah I'm the guy that brings home the money and I'm twice as Valuable. That's <laughs> worth the deuce. Yeah. How about live? Yeah, that one deuce. Yeah. Because it just it's not, and you get to scream and guitar solo and and then it ends. Yeah. Gene, it's been great talking to you, man. I appreciate you having me here in your amazing uh, museum of Kiss. Here's how you know it's bigger than guitarists. This guy in a comic book. I got a comic the other day. Kiss meets Archie. Oh, I'm the guy that made that deal. <laughs> yeah. To fashion. On the runway in Tokyo. It's a model wearing uh, the demon makeup on Gap Press, Paris, London fashion. And there's me speaking at NASDAQ. (laughs) And there's a Gene Simmons post-it stamp.
2: (laughs) That says it all. Sealed with a kiss. Thanks, Gene. You're welcome. Thanks again to Gene Simmons. Another hero, another bucket list checked off. So many cool stories that he told. Gene's a great guy. He definitely plays a character when he's on screen, when he's on camera. You could tell we had the real Gene Simmons on our show, and what a great interview it was, what a great chat it was. I'm going to be spending more time with Gene on the Kiss Cruise. That's right, Fozzie got the invite to join the Almighty KISS, legendary KISS on the KISS Cruise 5, October 30th to November 3rd. We're sailing from Miami to Jamaica with the KISS Navy and the Fozzie Fanatics. We'll be rocking the high seas with KISS. Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Talk is Jericho alumni. Steel Panther will be there. Another Talk is Jericho alumni, Michael Starr, and sticks it in you. Lita Ford will be there. Maybe I'll get her on the show, too. Come join us if you can, although I think the cabins are almost sold out. Go to the Kiss Cruise, and that's cruise with the dot com, to find out if there's any space left. If not, I will tell you all about it on the spot report on the Kiss Cruise. Fozzie touring with Kiss. Come on, man. How cool is that? I'm so stoked and excited about that. I can't believe it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. We're going on the Kiss Cruise with Kiss. Oh, yeah. It's going to be amazing. Plus, we're also doing some dates with Slash. Another talk is Jericho alumni. That's in May. May 18th at the Concord Music Hall in Chicago. May 21st at Stubbs in Austin. And I got a producer side note from amazing producer Stacy Para. She loves that place. Well, Stacy, come on down. Come rock with us then. Uh, May 23rd, House of Blues in Houston. May 24th, Southside Ballroom in Dallas, Texas. We're also doing the Monster Energy Welcome to Rockville Fest on April 25th. And we're also, playing atlanta at 37 maine on april 24th which is john's creek georgia outskirts of atlanta it's going to be a great weekend so much cool stuff and there's still two nights left on the cinderblock party world tour 2015 with the dirty youth tonight in mannheim and tomorrow night march 21st we wrap up the tour in bochum germany what a great tour it's been thanks to the thousands and thousands of all of you who have come to rock with us uh, in Europe, in the UK, in Ireland, just had an amazing, amazing time. Thanks to all of you for being uh, for being there. Also, don't forget Sharknado three, July twenty second. It premieres on Sci Fi. I am in it playing Bruce, the ride attendant, and it is so so fun. So lots of cool stuff coming up. I will keep you abreast. <laughs> he said, "Abreast of all of this." On Talk is Jericho. And once again, thanks to the great sponsors, NatureBox.com, DollarshaveClub.com, Vegas.com, MeUndies.com, DDPYoga.com, and of course, Amazon.com. Appreciate you guys supporting the sponsors. Don't forget, go to podcast1.com. Click on the keep our podcast free right at the top of the Page. Eh? Then click on Talk is Jericho. You see all three of my Amazon links. Do your shopping. Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back some cash to the show. No extra fees, all hidden challenges. You're just getting your shopping done. You help me out in the process. You know I love it. I love to love you, baby. That's it. Another amazing edition of Talk is Jericho. And we'll see you next week. But in the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. Next Wednesday another legendary guy from Hollywood next Wednesday another iconic legendary figure Cheech Marin from Cheech and Chong will be here on the show I also got the return of Egypt speaking of iconic figures uh, so much cool stuff coming up I got a slot a roster of guests that you are going to go nuts for over the next few months. And I'm going to keep them coming. So thank you for being here. We'll see you on Wednesday with Cheech, man. Hey, how you doing? It looks like two puppies fighting under a blanket, man. All right. And yeah, boy. You can download new episodes
0: of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at PodcastOne.com. That's PodcastONE.com.
3: I'm not the best-looking guy in the world, but you can't convince
1: me of that.